0: All right, well I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28, open up to Matthew 28. I am so passionate about the message that I'm about to, to share, I love the portions of God's Word that we'll be looking at this morning, and, and as you turn there, let me just um, share with you something that I got to experience about a year ago, almost literally a year ago this, this past month, uh, some friends of mine. Uh, they invited me to go out and to go ocean fishing. Uh, I had—I've been lake fishing, I've been river fishing. Uh, I enjoy that, but I'd never been ocean fishing before. And so uh, they took me out on the boat. We got up early in the morning and we headed out. I don't know if you've ever been out on the open ocean. It's—it's um, it's quite a thing. When, when I say that we went ocean fishing, we went ocean fishing. Like the, we went. Out there we just kept going in a straight line forever and ever and ever, and, and then, um, as we were going out, it was it was overcast, so the sun was kind of coming up, but you couldn 't see the sun, it just kind of lit up all, all around us and two things stood out to me as we went out there into the ocean. The, the first one was the ocean is huge it 's just huge. We just kept going you know eventually the shoreline disappears completely. And it, Keep going and going, and you see nothing. It's huge. The second thing that stood out to me, and it was probably related to the fact that the ocean is, is huge, is how easy it could be to get lost. <clears throat> it was a little disconcerting. Now, the boat we were on was a modern boat, so it had all the technology. We could see where we were on the map. All of the, All the technology, you know, the navigational system, it was great, so I was never worried. But I thought to myself, if something were to happen to this navigational system, It's overcast. We don't know if the sun is rising or setting. Like, it would be so easy to get lost. I began to have a greater respect for the sailors of the past and why it was so important for them to have a compass, to have navigational equipment to be able to tell them where to go. Because when you're out there, you could think, you could feel like you're going in the right direction when in reality, you're off course. And getting off course, not being able to tell east from west or north from south, that could have disastrous consequences. You could expend so much time and energy think you're going in the right way when in reality you're going in in the wrong way. And as you think about the fact that a compass is so important to to a sailor because it it gives them the direction, it gives them the heading of of where they they should be going. I, I wonder if we make the same connection to the importance of having direction. For, for having a compass for our lives and specifically as Christians to know what is it that we're called to? Where's the direction that God calls us to go? This has really stood out to me this past year because as I listen to the media, as I listen to news, as I read blogs, as I just kind of take in the information that's out there, I'm finding something more and more, probably more than than any other time in, in really Um, Christian history and that is the church and you and I as individuals in the church are being pulled in a lot of different directions there are a lot of voices speaking into the church and into Christians lives and saying here's the direction that you should go we hear things like the church it, it should be engaged in racial reconciliation it should be engaged in social justice it should be Engaged in taking care of the needs of the unborn, taking care of the poor. We need to do a better job of engaging the LGBTQ community. We need to do whatever the government says about COVID to show love to our neighbor. We need to do this, we need to do that. If the church is really the church, it should be doing these things. I don't know if you're hearing that, but I'm hearing that. Just more and more there are all these voices speaking into the directions and the purposes of of the church, and then for us as Christians. And I just I just wonder. Who's right? Who's wrong? What direction should we be going? Because I believe that that if we're not clear on that, then we're going to be like a ship at sea without a compass, without a navigational system. We could be expending a lot of time and energy as Christians, individually and then collectively as the church of God, doing those things that might be good, that might even be right, but are ultimately not what God has called us to. And so that list of things that I just gave to you, I'm not saying that those things are wrong and that we shouldn't be, be engaged in those things. What I'm saying is, is that the heart of what the church is to be about? And because the church is made up of individuals like you and me, what are we as Christians individually supposed to be about? Do we have to guess at it? Are we just floating out there? Do we just come up with it on our own or is God's words clear on this? I come to you this morning and say, we don't have to guess at it that God's word is tremendously clear, and we find our answers from the lips of Jesus himself in Matthew 28. It's a passage of scripture that we come back to because it's from this passage of scripture that we derive our mission, our purpose as a church. It starts with these words in Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Stop there. Let those words sink in for just one moment. Jesus is speaking these words after his life, death, burial, and resurrection. He's speaking to his very first followers, and as he speaks to them, he says, I want you to be clear about one thing. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is no doubt our Savior, the one who died to save us. To free us from the penalty, the power, the presence of sin. But Jesus also comes and makes one thing abundantly clear. I am your king. And I am the king over everyone whether they acknowledge it or not. When you and I look at Jesus, we're not looking at somebody who's just our savior. We can't just look at Jesus and say he was a good teacher and we like what he has to say. When you look at Jesus, as Jesus proclaims himself to be, he's your king. He's my king. He's our Lord. And what that means is what he commands is what I do. I, you, we, if we are in Christ, owe oh, ultimate allegiance to him. And so when he speaks, we don't just simply listen. His wish is our what? command. Well, Jesus doesn't just wish something here. He goes on in this passage and he commands something. He says, with all my authority, with all my power, I come and I give you what is known here as the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you, what? Always, always. Even to the end of the age, Jesus makes it abundantly clear. Here is your purpose. Here is your calling. Here is my command upon your life. In your going, as you live your life, whatever that life is, you and I are to make disciples. What what does that mean? In its most fundamental, it's to take people who are not followers of Jesus, To take people who do not recognize Jesus as Savior and Lord and lead them to a place where they would come to know him and understand him as the one that they are to give their entire lives to follow. To take those who are not subjects and to turn them into subjects of the one true king. Paul would say it this way. He would give a little nuance to it. He would say in 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20. I'm not going to read all of it. But he would say this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Here at Valley Center Community Church, we hear the words of Jesus. We believe the words of Jesus. And so we say yes. We are a people with a purpose, with a mission. And it's not one that we have to guess at. It's not one that we don't have to, to create. It's one that is clearly stated by our king. And that is this. We as a church exist to glorify God by being and making disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it is. We exist to be and make disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. The reason why we say we exist to be and make disciples is because you can't make a disciple if you yourself are not a disciple. And so when Jesus calls us to it, this is our mission. This is our heading. Individually, collectively, this is what we are to strive for. There are so many good things that the church can be engaged in and should be engaged in as we fulfill our mission. But at the beginning, middle, and end of the day, at the beginning, middle, and end of our lives, this is the course that Jesus has set for you. This is the course that Jesus has set for me, to live life to make much of him by living as a disciple of him. And doing that, which would lead others to become disciples of Jesus. And so this begs a a question. How's this done? I mean, it seems kind of simple to be a disciple of Jesus, to make disciples of Jesus. But how is this done? How do we live to be and make disciples? Like I'm looking out right now at the church that I love so much. I see moms here today. I see moms with two, three, four kids. What on earth does it look like for a mom to make a disciple? To live as a disciple of Jesus. Is that a fair question to ask? I think it is. What does that look like for me? For that man or woman here who works a full-time job. Is being and making disciples just that of, of the professionals? The pastors, the elders, who, whoever we, we view those professional Christians to be? Or how do I do that with a full-time job as a retired grandma or grandpa? What does this look like? What about my teenagers that are here today? I love the teenagers of our church. I know many of you who know and love Jesus and profess him as your Lord and Savior. What does it look like for you? Like, it's great for me to stand up here and say, Jesus calls us to be and make disciples. But what does that actually look like? That's a question. And fortunately for us, we have an answer. We have an answer for what it would look like for us to actually live this out in the year 2020. To live this out in the midst of a global pandemic. To live this out. Every single day of our lives. So I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I love this passage because in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to fly through this. John Walter says that I speak about a million words a minute, and I'm going to this morning. In Acts chapter 2, we see the very first followers of Jesus doing something. We see them actually putting into play the words of Jesus. We see them illustrating for us what they understood it looked like to be and make disciples. And we find it in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42 through verse 47. I'm going to read it for us. And then from it, we're going to ascertain five things that it looks like for us to live out this mission. Here we go. And they devoted themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. There's just some passages that as a preacher, I'm just glad are in the Bible because it makes my job a lot easier. This is one of those passages because in it, we see how God's people understood the command of Jesus to be and make disciples. We see here these five very unique things that they engaged in, five things that for them really cemented what it meant to live out this mission. And here's the first one. It's pretty obvious. It's stated numerous times, and that is they gathered. They gathered. Do you see it there? After the gospel was preached to the multitudes by Peter, the people got saved, and it says in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Verse 44, and all who believed were what? Separated? No, they were together. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple Together, breaking bread in their homes. If there's one thing that the first followers of Jesus understood, it was the importance of disciples to gather and to gather for the corporate worship of the God who saved them, for worship of the God who redeemed them. In fact, these first followers of Jesus, all they were doing was continuing the pattern of God's people that we see even in the Old Testament. God's people have always been a people who understood the significance of gathering, gathering to worship. This is a pattern that's seen not only here in Acts, but it carries on throughout the rest of the New Testament. When Paul writes his letters, when Peter writes his letters, he writes his letters to churches, churches who would gather regularly for worship. And so we look at this as a church and we say, what does it mean to be and make a disciple? Well, one of the things that it means for us is that we gather for corporate worship. You can see it in your notes there this morning. If you want to take them, I put them in this morning. We gather for corporate worship. It's what a disciple does. Disciples of Jesus are those who gather because in our gathering church, listen to me, listen to me. In our gathering, what are we doing? We're taking time out of our week our week when the majority of it is so focused on so many other things and we're taking time to, to reflect and to recognize that it is our God above all else who is worthy of worship. With all the other hours in the week that we have, we're taking and we're setting aside time and we're saying, I need this. I need to be reminded who my God is. I need to, to recognize him and I need to do it collectively with the saints. And so back in February, when we first talked about this, we said, listen, we're going to be a church that is committed to to gathering. We want to follow what Hebrews 10.23 says. When it says this, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I shared all the way back in February that what this looks like for us, the expectation that we have for the members of Valley Center Community Church the thing that we share with the new members of Valley Center Community Church is, is that we will gather for corporate worship unless illness or the unexpected prevents us from doing so because disciples need to gather to encourage one another in the faith. I, I, I know that um, sometimes that that can be difficult and, and I know I got a group of people here, but I also know regularly on Sunday morning, we currently have people watching online. I want to speak to those of you that are watching this online right now because... We're in the midst of a situation where for many people in our church, um, there's a hesitancy for you to come and to gather with us on Sunday morning. That because of pre-existing conditions, because of health concerns, you say, I don't feel safe coming. And for those of you that are watching this online or later, here's what I want to say to you. We love you. And I don't want you to hear what I'm saying here about gathering for corporate worship and the importance of this. And and want you to feel like we're judging you and we're coming and we're saying that God doesn't love you, that we don't love you. No, no, we love you. We, we understand that you're in an unexpected time and, and that your health concerns might not have you joining with us on Sunday morning. And so, so we get that. My encouragement for those of you who watch us online because of those reasons is this. Keep setting aside time each and every week to gather with us as best you can to watch these services. So that's for you, but for the rest of us who feel like, we, we can come here and that we can gather. We don't have those pre existing conditions. We're not worried about that. Um, I want to speak to you and some that will watch this even later. That there's one group of people, and you know who you are because you've actually talked to me. You've talked to others on staff, and you say, Dave, man, it has been so awesome what you guys have been doing online. It's so nice to sit on my bed with my cup of coffee and my 65 inch TV and just watch this on Sunday morning. Uh huh. You know who you are, right? Listen, if that's you, if, if, if you're not coming because it's just more comfortable to watch at home, um, here's what I would, I would say. A few weeks ago, my nine-year-old daughter came to my wife, Hannah, and she said, she said, can we just stay home today and watch the church service on TV? <laughs> All right? Pastor's kid, right? Yeah, like it's, so it's real. Like I get it. I know it's more comfortable. My nine-year-old said, can we, can we just do that? And my wife said something I want to share with you. I thought this was really good. She looked at her and she said, sweetie, she said, imagine if you were going to be having your birthday party. And, and imagine if you invited your friends and family to come to the birthday party and everybody responded and said, you know what? Um, we're going to just watch your party online. We're not going to come to your house. We're just going to watch it online. How would you feel? She said, I wouldn't feel so great. Why wouldn't you feel so great? I said, because people wouldn't be here it wouldn't be fun it wouldn't be a celebration without the people here hannah said well that's what it's like when the people of god don't gather together it's not much of a celebration we can't fulfill what god's word calls us to to encourage one another in the faith if we're not lifting up our voices and doing that there's members of our church family that just simply can't come right now and they're grieved and it hurts them that they can't they can't be here but if you can be here listen listen we believe that God's word calls us to gather together. It's what we do. It's how we encourage one another in the faith. Because it's only also by gathering that the second thing can happen that we see in this text. It's not just that we gather for corporate worship. Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. It wasn't just that they gathered and fellowshiped and worshiped. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There's this overarching picture in the Bible that when you become a follower of Jesus you start as a baby and then you continue to mature and grow in your faith. And the way that you do that is through coming to the teaching and the hearing of the word of God. That we don't stay as babies in the faith. But as Paul said to Timothy he said this, he said for while bodily training is of some value godliness is a value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So train yourselves in godliness. We believe that to be and make disciples involves us not just gathering for worship, but doing something very specific. And that is that we grow spiritually in our knowledge and application of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like it's not just to come and to, to sit and to worship, and then just to fellowship. It's to be intentional about your own spiritual growth. You can't stay the way that you are. We believe that every single Christian here today should know more of Jesus a year from now than they do today. And that every single Christian here today should not just know more of Jesus, but should be living a life differently than they do today because they now know more of Jesus. That we don't just stay static. We don't just stay where we are. We continue to grow In our knowledge and understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we believe it takes place on two levels. Number one, it takes place personally. You have to own your personal growth. If you say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, you can't just sit back. There's this little meme that I I saw of a child in school, and and this is what he's doing. He's looking at a book, right? And this is what he's doing with his book. He's taking the book, ready? Watch this. And, And he's doing this. Do you know what he's doing? He's, he's like, if I just scoop the knowledge up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it in. And I look at him I'm like, that's so cute, but he's not going to learn that way. You, you can't just pretend that you can just come and you're just going to automatically, just magically start, start to learn and grow. No, we have to personally apply ourselves to the word. Do you own your spiritual growth? The second thing is this. We're called to grow in community. This is why we're once again offering this fall connection groups. Men's Bible study. Women's Bible study. Paul's going to be doing youth group. When we get over to the church property, Tony's going to start doing some Sunday school as well for the kids. Like we want to grow in community. Take advantage of these things. This is what it means to be and make disciples. Is that, is that we own our spiritual growth. That we desire to grow in our understanding of who he is and what he has done for us. We gather We grow. There's something else, though. These disciples, they gave. They gave. Look at this. Verse 42 again. Or verse 44. And all who believed together had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. These first disciples of Jesus got something. They got the fact that Jesus Christ gave everything for them. Gave his very life to save and to redeem a people who were once far off. And because Jesus is the ultimate giver, if we're following him, and if he's a giver, then that automatically makes us what? Givers. And so the way that we capture it here at Valley Center Community Church is we say, to be and make disciples means that we give we give of our talents, that's our abilities. We give of our treasures, our financial resources. And we give of our time in service to Christ and his church. This is what we see these people doing. We see them here giving of their time to meet each other's needs. Inviting people into their homes. We see them giving of their resources. They, they sold their property, their possessions, for the purpose of financially supporting others. God's people are givers. And so if if you're saying, Dave, what does it look like for me to be and make a disciple? To live as a disciple means you're going to give. You're going to give of your talents. You're going to serve with the gifts that God has given you. You're going to serve the people. You're going to give of the financial resources that you have because they're not yours to begin with. Neither are your talents and neither is your time. You know, there's two great lies that Satan has foisted upon the world. Two great lies that, that, that I hear all the time. The first lie is this. What you have is actually yours. What you have is actually yours. Do you know that it's not? Do you know that we're stewards, not owners? The second thing is that what you have is because you worked for it. Those are the two great lies of Satan. Because if all I have is mine and because of what I have is because I worked for it, then, it's, then I'm free to do with it whatever I want. God's word says, no, 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 no. All that you have has been given to you by the gracious Father above. And it's to be used in service to him. And so for the mom here today, who might hear these first three things that I've said and say, well, what does it look like for me with three kids to be and make disciples? I just want to put it on the lower shelf. One of the ways that you live out being a disciple is just bringing your kids to church. If you're doing that, if you're able to get up and you're like, I didn't get much out of it, that's okay because at least you were with the the saints here and you were showing to your children that you were going to make the sacrifices to come, even with your ragtag bunch of kids, just to be here. You're being and making disciples as mother. You serve your children with your time, pointing them to Jesus. There are other things you could be doing, but when you take the time to sit down and tell them about Jesus, you're, you're serving them. But for those of us who have older kids, for those of us who have more resources, what does it look like for us to be and make disciples? It, it says, it, am I using the gifts that I have to serve the people in the church? If, if I don't have kids in the home or my kids are older, am I opening up my home to invite people into it, to, to either be a part of a connection group, to host a connection group, to host a Bible study, to do something with what God has given me to help people grow in the faith? We exist to be and make disciples. We do it through gathering. We do it through growing. We do it through giving. But then we also do it through, and this is probably the most obvious of the four, through going. Through going. We go into the world sharing the message of the gospel. Paul would say it most clearly to the church in Rome. He said, listen, they can't know of Jesus if they don't hear of Jesus. And they can't hear of Jesus unless you what? Tell them. A long time ago, I heard a pastor one time say, we are God's plan A for the world. We're God's plan A to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And guess what? There's no plan B. Disciples cannot be made if they do not hear of the glorious message of Jesus Christ. We are called to go and to share with our friends and our neighbors. Can I tell you a little secret right now? Um, Here's the secret. There are people who have been watching services like ours online, especially at the start of the pandemic. A lot of people were tuning into churches, and they were watching services online, which was a great thing. Do you know what we've also seen, though, now? Statistically, that has dropped off huge. There are less people watching church services now than ever before. See, there's a great boom, right? Everybody's watching online, but then people's curiosity began to wane. Let me tell you the other part of the secret. Do you think that people in this environment are going to be really excited to simply be invited to come to a large gathering with a bunch of people to hear about Jesus? Do you think our culture that the people are going to be like, oh, you're going to a large gathering with a group of people amidst a COVID pandemic? Yeah, that's where I want to go. There's going to be a hesitancy to this. So do you know the the most powerful way that the gospel is going to reach Valley Center and Escondido in San Diego County? It's not going to be through this guy up here or anybody else behind this pulpit proclaiming Jesus. It's going to be through you, God's people, going to your freaked out friends and neighbors who are worried about dying and telling them that there's something that's on the other side of death and it doesn't have to be hell. It can be heaven and it can be eternity. That's the way that God saves is through you going. In fact, the Bible calls me and the elders and the pastors to do something. Do you know what it calls us to do? Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Who does the work of the ministry? Is it me? Ephesians tells us who's called to do the work of the ministry. I want you to say it with me. Are you ready for this? I'm going to say who's called to do the work of the ministry. And we're going to say collectively, I am. All right? Because that's what God's word tells you. Now, if you don't believe that, you don't have to say it. But I'll look at you. I'll give you a look. No, I'm just stating Are you ready? God's word says who's called to do the work of the ministry. I am. Ooh, that that didn't really land with me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. That's what Jesus says. So who's been called to do the work of the ministry? I am. If you believe that, we gather, we grow, we give, and we go into the world with the hope and the message of the gospel. Now, you might say, Dave, I'm not prepared. I don't know how to share with my friends or neighbors. I say, great, wonderful. We're going to continue this year to once again offer Evangelism 101, where you can be trained by coming to this short little class to learn how to share the gospel with the lost. Also, if you're not a member of Valley Center Community Church yet, but you want to become a member, part of the membership process is going to be helping you know how to share your faith, because this is a core value of our church. But there's one final thing, and this I close with. It's not just that we gather. It's not just that we go. It's not just that we give. And it's not just that we grow. There's one little final point, and it's raised in this text over and over again. To be and make disciples, we pray. We pray. We pray because the king, above all kings, invites us to make our needs and requests known to him. Jesus Christ, the one who can actually save, Jesus Christ, the one who can actually produce the fruit of the gospel in hearts and minds, invites you and invites me to come before his throne. And so in verse 42, here's what we see it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. God's people. As we fulfill his mission, continue to come before him in prayer, praising him for who he is in prayer, making known to him our needs, which is why one of the things we encourage every person at this church to have is a weekly list of the lost that they are praying for. Our God invites us to pray, and he answers prayers. It's not always the way we anticipate, but he hears the prayers of his people. He's not like a judge, as we saw in the parables this summer, who doesn't care. No, instead, he's a precious father who says, make your needs known to me. And then just sit back and watch and see what I can do. Church, this is our mission. To glorify God by being and making disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I do that as we look together for corporate worship. As we look to grow spiritually, taking advantage of those things that God's church provides for us personally, collectively. As we give of our time and our treasure and our talents. And then as we go, sharing the hope of the gospel and bathing all that we do and all that we say in prayer. Because we know that our God is faithful to answer the prayers of his people as they go. Because behold, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Lord, as we bow our heads in this moment, we're putting into application one of the things that we believe it means for us to live as followers of you, to not be cut off from communication with you, but to daily bring our needs, our requests, our desires to you. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for being so prone to, to run to even do all these other things before coming to you first even in prayer. Lord, for those of us that might even be here today, prayed for many things over the years and haven't necessarily seen those prayers answered, Lord, for any of us that might be wavering in our faith, I would pray that today, even the testimony of what you've done in answering these bigger prayers concerning the new church campus, concerning our worship on Sunday morning, Lord, would would stir us to believe that you're going to continue to show yourself faithful in answering our prayers as we look to align our lives under your mission of being and making disciples. Help us, Lord, in this. We pray and we ask, and all God's people said, amen. Amen.